Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Some of you may not know what this is. It's um, a paper version of the Bible. And uh, it's interesting that... um, it's got Old Testament and New Testament. But what was in the middle of those two? There's actually a period of 400 years between the events of the Old Testament and the events of the New Testament. Some scholars call that the 400 silent years because during those times, God never spoke. There's nothing, there's a recorded, if you like, word of God from that. But just because God's voice was silent doesn't mean that his hand was not involved in those situations in history, as he's always involved in the history of the world. And um, during that time, something of great significance happened and was recorded in Jewish legend. And it's the story of Honi the Circle Maker. It had not rained in Israel for one entire year. No clouds in the sky, no water in the well. Gardens did not grow, rivers ran dry, dust filled the air. The people were thirsty and scared. They pleaded with one voice, oh God, give us rain. But when God didn't answer right away, they lost faith. Our prayers are not working, the people said. God has forgotten us. Then they remembered something, remembered someone, the rainmaker. Over the years, the people had heard stories of a man whose prayers had gone straight to God's heart, opened up the heavens with rain. Honey was now an old man living on the outskirts of Jerusalem. The people knew that he was their last hope, their only hope, so they knocked on his door and the rainmaker emerged. Honey believed that even if the people could not hear God, God could still hear them. Then he boldly declared, the same God who made the thunder will make it clap. The same God who made the clouds will make them rain. A parade of people led Honey into the city, to the Temple Mount. As the crowd grew, children climbed onto the shoulders of their fathers. Others stood on tiptoe to see what Honey would do. That's when it happened. Honey bowed his head and extended his staff to the ground. What is he doing? The people wondered. Then Honey began to turn. He turned all the way around until he stood inside the circle he had drawn. Then, with the hope of an entire nation on his shoulders, Honey dropped to his knees and he prayed. Sovereign Lord, I swear before your great name that I will not leave this circle until you send rain. Like water from a well, the words flowed from the depths of his soul. The people watched and waited. Then it happened. A single raindrop fell from the sky, then another. The people turned their heads heavenward. That's not enough water, they grumbled. So little rain is of no use to us. Still kneeling within the circle, Honey continued to pray to God with a humble heart. Not for such rain have I prayed, but for the rain that will fill cisterns, pits and caverns. Lightning flashed, and there was a loud clap of thunder. The sprinkle turned into a downpour that the crowd feared for their lives, and they fled to higher ground to escape the flash floods. 
but Honey battled the storm on his knees, continued to pray within his circle. Not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain of your favour, blessing and graciousness. Then, like a cool shower on a hot summer day, it began to rain calmly, peacefully. The people gathered around in celebration. They'd witnessed a miracle. Parents opened their mouths to catch the falling raindrops. Children danced in the downpour like it was the first rainfall they'd ever seen. Laughter filled the air. It was the day thunderclaps applauded God. It was the day puddle jumping became an act of praise. It was the day the legend of the circle maker was born. The rainmaker would forever be known as Honey the Circle Maker. The circle maker had taught the people the power of prayer. The people now understood that one prayer can change anything. One prayer can change everything. From that day forth, when the people needed a miracle, they would draw a circle and pray, just like Honey. They circled the sick. They circled the sad. They circled the young. They circled the old. They circled their biggest dreams. They circled their greatest fears. And most importantly, they circled the promises of God. Sometimes they had to pray for a long, long time. But they never again doubted the fact that God always hears. And if our prayers glorify God, God always answers. Everyone who witnessed the miracle that day learned a lesson they would never forget. God honours bold prayers because bold prayers honour God. It's probably not a popular thing for a church leader to have to admit to. It gives me no pleasure to say so. But when we start talking about prayer, I don't consider myself any kind of an expert. In fact, it's something that I've always had a struggle with. I read books that say that um, prayer for Christians is, should be as natural as breathing. But the honest truth about myself and my own life is that sometimes I've really needed to work at prayer. It's something that I've had to, to have some disciplines and, and uh, to make some things happen in my life so that I do pray. Uh, it doesn't just come natural to me. And in some ways, we've got to be aware of um, of the need to not formularize things and say if we do this, this, this and this, this is what makes a good prayer life. It sometimes can be a bit strange anyway, the whole idea of formulas. I know that for me, prayer sometimes can seem a little bit like the idea of, well, imagine that I, I decided that, that my kids were going to have to come here at a particular set time of the day and that they would spend 10 minutes or however long First of all, telling me how great I was. And then after they've done that, then they could bring a list of things that they wanted me to do for them. And then off they'd go and just live their own lives. That wouldn't be much of a relationship. And what this is meant to be, the prayer is supposed to be about relationship. But something that I found will really help is this book, Circle Maker by Mark Batterson. I heard him speak some time ago and I'd read the book a few years before that. And when I was at a conference and heard him, I thought this is the kind of thing that's really going to help us. It's going to help me, first of all, and then help us to be able to, to grab hold of God more in prayer and to be able to start to see some results and to be able to be more consistent, more persistent, more powerful, more bold in our prayers. And so, so while there's no great formula that we're going to bring up, there's a principle at the start of the book that he says, if you don't get hold of this, you're never going to pray a bold prayer. And that's you have to know, first of all, God is 
for me. God is for me. God's on my side. God, God wants to help me. God's available. He's listening. He's powerful. And he wants to answer your prayers and mine. Uh, if I don't remember that, then my prayers are going to be tiny. My prayers are going to be timid. They're not going to be bold prayers. They're not going to be audacious prayers. They're not going to be the kind of prayers that even get God's attention, really. Um, they're, they're just going to um, not make much difference to me or to the world. And as I read this book as well, um, I, I realized that, the, that I really wanted to learn to pray in a new way. And I found that this book helped me to do so. Circle Maker, I believe. If you get involved in a grow group, if you read through this material yourself, if you discuss it, if you implement the, strat the strategies and the practical things that there are in this book over this next season for us as a church, you're going you're gonna to find three things are true for you as I believe they've been true for me. Number one, you're going to learn how to claim God-given promises. You're going to learn how to pursue God-sized dreams. And finally, you're going to be able to seize God-given opportunities that he has for you. Those are the three things that Circle Maker is going to do, and I can't wait to see how that's going to impact us here at Ivy. In the next few weeks as a community at Ivy, whether you join us physically and you're able to do so at our locations, or you join us online and you're very welcome to do that, or you're listening on podcasts, we want you to learn how to draw near to God, and in doing so, after you've done that, to also draw around your family a circle, draw around your problems your possibilities, uh, your seeming impossibilities. Draw a circle around them and ask God and look and expect to see some amazing answers as you pray some bold and specific prayers as a circle maker. You're going to discover the lesson of honing the circle maker that bold prayers honour God. In fact, anything less, Mark Batterton says, dishonours our big and powerful, good and kind God, who loves nothing more than keeping promises, performing miracles and fulfilling dreams. Mark Batterton says here in the book, if your prayers aren't impossible to you, they're insulting to God. If your prayers aren't impossible to you, they're insulting to God. Why? Well, because Actually, when you think about it, they don't actually even require divine intervention. It's something you could probably just do yourself. In the Old Testament, there's a story that I love, the book of Joshua. It talks about how the people of God came into the promised land, but on the way, they faced a seemingly impossible, seemingly insurmountable obstacle. As they stepped into the promised land, Jericho stood before them. Jericho was shut up tight as a drum because of the people of Israel. No one going in, no one coming out. God spoke to Joshua. Look, I've already given Jericho to you. Here's what you are to do. March around the city, all your soldiers. Circle the city once. Repeat this for six days. Have seven priests carry seven trumpets in front of the chest. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times the priests blowing away on the trumpets, and then a long blast on the ram's horn. When you hear that, all the people are to shout at the top of their lungs. The city wall will collapse at once. All the people are to enter, every man straight on in. And it happened. Joshua spoke, the people moved. Seven priests with their seven ram's horn trumpets set out before God. They blew the trumpets, leading God's chest of the covenant. The armed guard marched ahead of the trumpet-blowing priests. The rear guard was marching after the chest. 
marching and blowing their trumpets. Joshua had given orders to the people. Don't shout. In fact, don't even speak. Not so much as a whisper until you hear me say, shout, then shout away. Joshua was up early the next morning. The seven priests marched before the chest of God, blowing the trumpets. They did this for six days. When the seventh day came, they got up early and marched around the city this same way, but seven times. On the seventh time around the priests blew the trumpets and Joshua signaled the people, shout, God has given you the city. You've probably heard this story before, this city, it's huge wall standing in the way of God's people, stopping them from entering and possessing the land that he'd promised them. But God didn't tell them, I want you to build a battering ram or a siege tower. He said, I've already won this battle for you. I've already defeated this king and these armies that stand against you. So you march and pray and praise. And then you're going to see what I can do. We don't like the idea of walking round in circles, do we? It sounds to us like a pointless thing to do, but this was different. This was a prayer strategy. Every step that they took was a faith step. The city seemed impregnable. The, the plan seemed implausible. Walk around and round and round and pray in silence and just trust God and talk to him at three miles an hour. That was the speed the people marched together. All the time they're praying, they're talking to God and, and probably the people in the city are shouting down from the walls and laughing and jeering at them. And then on the final day they have to do it for hours, about three hours walking around from 6am till 9am. And then suddenly the trumpets blow, the people shout and the walls come tumbling down. You know the story, so here's the question. What's your Jericho? What's your Jericho? What promise are you praying will be fulfilled? What miracle is it that you're marching towards? What dream is it that you are stuck um, unless God was to come through and help you with it? What's so big that you just need that divine intervention? I'm encouraging you here to be specific, not just to name the problem, but also to name the solution. One of the things we're encouraging people to do during this time is to get a journal. You don't have to buy a special one if you don't want to. Just start to write something down in your diary or whatever or make a note online. But begin to journal and talk to God and have a written record of this journey. Perhaps 21 days in, in circle making prayer. And write out the promise that you're claiming, not just the problem that you're facing. Don't write Jericho, write walls come tumbling down. Don't be vague about this. Mark Batson reminds us in the book of, I think it was David Yonggi Cho, the pastor of the huge church in Seoul, Korea, who said, vague prayers don't get answered by God. Why, well, why should they? See, if it's, if it's so vague, then afterwards, when it's answered, you're just going to say it was a coincidence anyway. Or you're going to say, wow, that was lucky. Or aren't I good that I managed to sort it out? God won't get any glory from a vague prayer like that. But when you start to write some things down, when you start to journal about it, when you start to take a written record, then you're going to have a record of answered prayer. And I believe we're going to see a lot of that during these next few weeks. Let me tell you something about a story of this from our own family. You know my wife Zoe, many of you will know her, and she's um, been faithful in prayer, specifically over the years, to pray for our children. And when she was doing this, she didn't just make up her own list and her own ideas of, in terms of what she wanted to pray. She went to God and she asked him, what's your will for them? What is it that you want for them? Years ago, we ended up, when we went into ministry, we had to sell our house. Uh, we couldn't afford to keep it, and the one that I had when I was in the police. And we, we lost that house, and it was, it was hard for us to do that. 
But around that time, God gave Zoe a promise out of the book of Deuteronomy and she wrote it down. And it says, the Lord himself will be your children's inheritance. And she claimed that, okay, we didn't have a house that we could pass on to them as an inheritance, but God promised us something far better. So she wrote that down and she believed it for our children, that God himself would be their inheritance. And above everything else that they could do in life, whether they end up getting great degrees or going off to particular uh, education or having whatever experiences, whatever careers they wanted, we wanted, Zoe would pray really regularly and I, I as best I could as a, as a guy who, who as I say struggles with prayer would join with her in this but she was so faithful to pray specifically that there'd never be a day when the, our children didn't walk with God and didn't know the love of Jesus Christ and then as she talked to God about that she began to pray some specific things and she said to God what do you want me to pray for my children and you know that list from God might be different than the list that you'd have of sporting achievements or job prospects or whatever. And she felt that she heard from God, first of all, for Emma. And the, the, what she was to pray for him was that by the time she was 21, that she would have found the man that she was meant to be married to, a godly man uh, who would love her and uh, that they'd be married for life. And on her 21st birthday, she was actually already married to Ben. She went to God and prayed for Hannah and she said, God, what do you want me to pray for Hannah? And she felt that God said to her, you're to pray that by the time she's 21, she's going to be with the, the man of God that she's meant to be, that's going to be her husband, her partner for life. And just before her 21st birthday, it didn't look like there was anybody on the scene at the time. But then, praise God, on her 21st birthday at the party, suddenly I, I introduced this guy who's kind of been hanging around for a little bit. His name's Lawrence and they're together on her 21st birthday and now that of course they're married too. So she thinks she's on a roll. Obviously the thing that she has to pray for for Joel is that he'd be married too on his 21st birthday. But as she talked to God about what was the, the will of God, what was it that he wanted her to pray for Joel, what she felt was that God was saying, I want you to pray that by the time he's 21, he'll love me first and foremost, that I'll be the number one love in his life. And um, guess what? There was ups and downs to do with that. But I'm so grateful to God that by the 21st birthday, we were talking to Joel online when he was living in South Africa. And all he wanted to do was tell us about Jesus Christ and how amazing he is. And isn't it wonderful to know him and to have that, that burning passion for God that I now see in my son. And the great news is that the reason I'm not with you right now is that we're in Spain and we'll be celebrating together as Joel is married out here in Mallorca, a girl that he's met out there in South Africa. God is faithful and he's good and he's for you and he wants to answer your prayers too. So what's your Jericho? What is it for your family, for your friendships, for your neighborhood, for your work? What are the solutions? What are the, the things that the promises to take hold of? What are the miracles that you need? You know, Jesus would, also, would often ask people an incredible question. When you think he's God and he would, you expect would go around saying to people, here's what I want you to do for me. Instead, there's time and time again where Jesus would appear before his friends, James and John, before their, their mother, before um, a couple of blind men, before another, another blind guy. And he would say to them, what do you want me to do for you? Isn't that amazing that Jesus would say that to us? What do you want me to do for you? Don't just read the Bible, start circling the promises. Underline them, maybe highlight them on your phone if you're a phone Bible reader. Don't just have a wish list, have a list of God-given goals, God-sized goals for your life, uh, for impact and influence. Don't just pray write down what you pray in a journal so that you'll have a record so you'll be able to be specific so you'll define the dream and declare your desires before god 
And imagine when you pray, Jesus is right there with you and he's asking you the same thing. He's saying, what do you want me to do for you? Start talking to Jesus. Start talking to your Father God and start drawing some circles around your family. Start drawing some circles around your workplace. Why don't you take a piece of chalk and go and do that circle somewhere where you're praying for as a little sign to you. I want God to do something here, right here. Gypsy Smith was a great evangelist and uh, people came to him one time and they said, how do we get revival? How do we see revival? And he said, here's what you do. I want you to take a piece of chalk, draw a circle around yourself and then pray down, God, I want you to send revival on everything in this circle. Why not be specific in terms of the things that you're praying for? What's your Jericho? You may not get the answers that you want, but you'll get the answers that God has. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened because you are a circle maker. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.